Welcome to the Dose of Caesar, the podcast that runs experiments, explores new ways of thinking, and talks to the most interesting people that I've met around the world and who have traveled the world. Today, I am honored to have um, an incredible guest. Her name is Thais Bass Moore. Is, is that how you say your last name? Ba- yep. Bass? Bass Moore. Uh-huh. Hyphenated. Bass gotcha. Moore. Mm-hmm. And uh, who is Thais? Thais is the co-founder and director of the Fearless Leadership Institute at the University of Texas in Austin. Um, which provides academic, professional, and personal development to African-American women and Latina undergraduates. She earned her undergraduate degree at UCLA. She went on to establish the Black Theater Company at Baton Baton Rouge. Is that how you say it? Baton Rouge. um, Baton Rouge. I'm sorry. It's okay. You can say Baton. (laughs) Um, where she served as playwright and director. She graduated from UT Austin in December 2018 with uh, with a master's in human dimensions of organizations. Um, Who is Thais to me? I first met Thais in um, 2017 um, when we were studying abroad in China. And um, she was one of the uh, faculty that came on to help make the program possible uh, with along with uh, Dr. Bumpus and Do- Dr. Liu, Dr. Moore. Um, and, and, you know, when you first meet Thais, at least for me, there's just, I, I you know, you know, those people that just, uh, there's something in their voice that you feel a, a calmness come over you. And that's what I feel when, when Thais speaks, that's how I felt when, when I heard her speak on her podcast. And I feel like she has a lot of wisdom, um, not only through her life experiences, but I think through the work that she's done with, with women, which is why I wanted to bring her on here. And Thais, thank you so much for coming on here. Okay, you're trying to get me emotional and crying at the start. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm being, uh, you know, I'm, I'm being honest. And I, I have a question. I, I wanted to start somewhere um, where, where my mind was when, when, when that podcast, I wish I remember the name of it, um, that I listened to where, where, the, where you were interviewed. Um, mm-hmm. You were talking about hugs. And I, was, I wanted to ask you, why are hugs important? And why are they important for you? And why, why do you think they're important for people? Mm, well, great question. First of all, I was on the podcast, so I should remember it, but I don't either. So don't feel bad, <laughs> the name of it, rather. Um, I do know that it was under the University of Texas. But yes. hugs, um, woo, a hug saved my life. And I just love hugs. I know growing up, I'm from I'm number seven of seven. And all of us loved hugging each other. Every time we came in the door, we would Mm -hmm. hug. Um, Every time we would leave, we would hug. However, my mom never hugged. Um, So she was not raised by her mother. And I think she was just, you know, she lacked a lot of those innate mothering things that you think mothers are supposed to do, I guess, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Um, She was a wonderful mother, but there were just some things I was like, mom, that's you're supposed to do that. But she, you know, she didn't or she didn't know how. And so I remember having to teach my mom how to hug me. Um, and I remember she would be so uncomfortable. She would put her arms around me and just kind of pat me for a second. And I was like, don't tap me. Stop tapping me. Just <laughs> hold me. Just put your hand there. Count to five and just hold me. So I had to t- teach my mom how to hug me. But then when I was um, in college and I got to a point where college was rough. I was didn't. I was about to drop out. I was considering dropping out, rather. Um, I had just gone through a series of bad relationships and was considering um, suicide. And so life was just at a really dark spot for me. 
And I remember going to one of my cousin's houses that I went to pretty much every weekend. Um, and I would stay with her and I was crying and telling her what I was going through. And she didn't say much. Mm. All she did was she just had these huge, just lovable. I mean, she wasn't, I wasn't saying she was huge, like, you know, just meant yeah. huge with love. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, she just wrapped her arms around me and just held me like, and I promise you, I could just feel the pain just kind of coming out of me and love going into me, you know? Um, and that was a turning point for me when she held me. I don't know how long she held me. She cried with me. She, I feel like she was humming. I know she was praying. Wow. Um, and that moment was the start or the impetus of, of change in my life. I feel like to where I be, you know, I started becoming a new person and she was the foundation for that. Wow. And mm-hmm. question on when you t- were teaching your mom how to hug, was it uncomfortable for you at first? Because it was your mom never hugged a lot. And I, was it uncomfortable for me to teach my mom? Yeah. Well, did you feel a little uncomfortable? Like it was a little weird at first? It was weird because I felt like she should know how to do this. Um, but it wasn't uncomfortable. I was more so just frustrated because I really wanted a hug from her. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted a lot of emotional encouragement and strength from her that I didn't get. She just, that was one area where she was void of. Cause I remember as a child going through a lot of trauma with different things. I don't know how deep you want to get on here. Um, we can get as deep as you, as you want. <laughs> okay. Well, in the first grade I was molested and I wow. remember coming home and trying to tell my parents that it happened and I was having a hard time. So finally my mom was able to get me, you know, in the bathroom alone with just me and her, my dad had to leave and I told her what happened. And I expected her to hold me and to cry with me and then to go find the person who did it and not maybe murder him, but at least hurt him. Um, But she never talked with me about it again. She didn't hug me. She never cried with me. She never brought it up ever again. Um, She was just, she just, I guess, didn't, wasn't equipped to do that. And so it was a lot that I needed from her. And one of those things that I was able to teach her was at least how to hug me. Mm. When you work with these uh, young women at UT Austin now, and they come to you with, with these experiences, like, um, you know, and they open up to you, like you opened up to your mom when you were so young, what is your reaction? Like, what do you, what do you do? Um, because this is something that I, I don't know if I would know how to re- react and it's happened before. And, and I've tried to react in the best way possible, but it's, it's like where I help the person, but I wonder um, what you do since you have such a, uh, such a, so much experience with working with women. Um, well, it depends on each individual person and how well I know them first off, first off. Um, but I would say I just listen. I ask questions. I let there be time for like quietness, you know, um, mm. just to where they can feel the moment. And I, I basically tell them I'm so proud of them for telling somebody wow. um, because a lot of times those those things are told to be kept secret and secrets can eat away at you and tear you down. Um, and so I tell them that I'm proud of them for exposing the truth, you know, mm-hmm. um, and for being vulnerable. And then 
I'll get them some tissue because we're usually both crying. Um, And then at some point I'll go over and I'll just hold on to them, which is like I said, what I wanted my mom to do with me, what my cousin Patrice did for me. I'll just go and I'll hug them and hold them. Sometimes people just need like human connection, right? Just, you just need to sit in silence. Like it's it's sometimes you don't need to say a lot. Just, just somebody supports you. Mm -hmm. And um, I just know that, I think a lot of people in my generation, especially it's like, we're, um, it, it, silence is a little weird, especially mm. because we have so much stimulation from technology and you're so used to being distracted that you, in those moments, I think a lot of, um, people would want to just get distracted immediately somehow. But That's so true. I wanted to ask, uh, because a lot of the things you say remind me so much of this book, um, that I read that really changed my life. It's called the the gifts of imperfection by Brene Brown. Have you ever read it? I have not, but uh, of course I know of her, and I I appreciate you know her wisdom. Yeah, and and, and she, a lot of the things that you you talk about kind of like go along the lines of what she talks about, and and the, and and it gave me a great perspective on like how to live a happier life. And in that interview, you also said that your medicine is laughter. Mm-hmm. Um, when did laughter become your medicine? Has it always been your medicine or is this something that you found out later? Like, Oh wow, this is, this, this makes me happier. I'm going to do this more often. <laughs> you ask great questions. Um, so I guess it's always been my medicine. In fact, I used to get in trouble for laughing at school. Cause my laugh is not just like, ah, my <laughs> laugh is like, outlandish probably (laughs) over the top you know huge Mm. but I've learned not to sorry for the noise I've learned not to um keep myself from laughing just to make other people feel comfortable Mm. and I'm this I'm so sorry this is not a show to bash my mother because I love my mother but my mom used to hit me on the forehead when I laughed because she was she was like Thais that's too loud and it was just like, it would just come out of me, you know, and my dad is a huge laugher. All my brothers and sisters laugh big. My <laughs> brother who's closest to me. We would get on the floor and kick and scream and laugh. In fact, sometimes I laugh so hard or so funny that I um, might piss on myself a little bit. But um, that's, <laughs> that's my BTMI. But... <laughs> Oh, that's probably TMI. Yes. No, you're good. That was uh, that was incredible. Okay. That's such a, a vulnerable thing to say. I'm going. <laughs> this is one right? of the things that I deeply respect about you. That that even the last interview interviewer said that you're so open to talking about anything about your life, even like the the things like very 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 deep things that you just shared right now. You know that you were molested and stuff. And and um and you said that it comes from your mother your mother's silence that you saw your mom being very quiet. Is that true? And mm-hmm. and is that why you always, you, you, you just rather say things? Cause I'm starting to be that way. And mm-hmm. before we started the the podcast, I told you, I, there's a lot of parallels between your, your relationship with your mother and my relationship with my father. And now that you're talking about it you, with your mom, um, you you had a hard time hugging with my dad. It's a hard time saying, I love you. You know, it's mm-hmm. one of those things that his parents never told him. And, mm-hmm. 
And the reason I asked the first question of, is it hard, was it hard for you in the beginning to hug her? Because for me, sometimes it's weird to say, I love you, which is such a weird thing, right? Like, how is it weird that I'm, it's hard for me to say, I love you to my dad. Um, but it's because we never say it. And this is not to bash my dad. And I'm not trying to turn this into a therapy session, but I'm just trying to explain why I'm so interested in your relationship with your mother. Of So this, this thing about silence, um, what did it teach you? What did your mother's silence teach you? Mm, that it was unhealthy to be silent. Um, that it's, I think she, mm, I think she was silent one because she didn't want us to hurt and she wanted to be strong for us, the children. But I also think she just, you know, came from a generation where those things you didn't talk about. You just put them under the rug and you left them there. But I believe silence for things that hurt like that, all they do is just uproot a family over time mm. and they control your life because you're always trying to keep them hidden, um, trying to do different things to, to protect maybe the person who hurt you uh, so that they're not embarrassed or ashamed, trying to, do things in your life to cover up the pain. And so you just end up wearing a mask all the time mm. versus taking the mask off and being who you are, exploring who you are, figuring out who you are, but you can't figure out what, who you are if you're so um, bound by secrets. Mm. You know, they like, they it's almost like a stronghold where they just hold you in place. They keep you at that place. And I think of like the term arrested development. I feel like, if something happened to you at a young age or any age, you know, especially when you're young and it was traumatic and you weren't able to get healing from it or talk about it or anything, a lot of people get stuck at that age, whether it's mentally, emotionally, physically. Um, so you think, look at a lot of people who maybe, you know, maybe they're smart in a lot of aspects or they're grown up or whatever, but over here in this area of their life, they act like they're eight. Mm. You know, and it's because mm -hmm. possibly something happened when they were eight and they never dealt with it. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's I think that's so big. Um, you know, the, 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 the thing about being vulnerable and just just talking about things. But do you have any advice for people who perhaps uh, they they hide these things still and they're older, but they want to change. But it's so scary to start talking about it. What do you tell your girls? What's the first step? I mean, I think your girls have already taken the first step, right? The girls that you work with. Mm. Um, yes, I like that question, especially about older people. Like with my mom, she's 86 now. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, I'll ask her little questions just to try and give her the space to know that she can talk to me about stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and she has over the years, little by little, told me little things. And um, the things that she's told me are, -hoo -hoo. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> that was heavy. I'm going to have to give me a space to swallow that and come back to you. So I understand maybe why she didn't, she didn't tell me, maybe I'm not the right person to tell, but mm -hmm. she should tell a, f a friend. Um, and I think the older you are, the harder it is. 
but it's never too late to start living your life. It doesn't matter if you're 80 and you're like, well, I only have a few. I only got a few years left here. Might as well just hold on to it longer. No, you can still, the rest of your life is the rest of your life. And I feel like telling those things gives you freedom. And so we just encourage the ladies in Fly to, you know, gain freedom from your past. Don't let, don't drag your past around in these big old bags because they weigh you down. Mm. And we do that by example. We, sh- I share my stories. Dr. Tiffany Lewis shares her stories. Um, and so we just let the people know, Hey, nobody's perfect. Everybody's dealt with some sort of crap. Some of us more than others. Um, so don't feel ashamed of your experiences. You know, I believe we go through things so that we can help others come out of things. Mm. One of the ways that I like to think about it, and I'm not, uh, this is just the way I think about it is I feel like whenever something happens to me, I, I tell myself like, I like, um, I'm the person that's, that's able to handle this. Like I, this, this has, has been given to me because I can handle this and other people wouldn't be able to handle it. I don't know. For me, that's just, that helps me out. Um, but it, I like the impression you, you just did right now, which may, it reminded me of um, your, your career in theater and, and acting. How did you get into acting and theater? Were you an act, actress? I'm an actress, yes. In fact, I just got um, a part, a role in this play. I'm so excited because I haven't been acting in a long time. Oh, so. wow. Congratulations. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't know you were still acting, but how did you fall into acting? Um, I think, like I said, I'm the youngest of seven children. Mm-hmm. On my dad's side of the family, I'm the youngest of 56 grandchildren. And then just all of them have children who are really older than me, too. So I'm the youngest of a whole lot of people in my family. And I think for me, I've always had like a stage. <laughs> and so being the youngest everywhere I went, people are like, oh, Thais, sing us a song. Oh, Thais, tell us a joke. And I just loved it. I was like, okay, I always came ready, you know? Yeah. Um, and that turned into doing church plays. I love doing Easter plays, Christmas plays wow. at church. <laughs> oh, okay. I remember the thing that just made me fall in love with acting. So my, if you know my mom, mm-hmm. she's like a very churchy, holy lady, always wears, you know, appropriate clothing, so to speak, very um, modest loves singing in the church, playing the piano. If you find her somewhere, she's praying, she's reading her Bible. So just a holy lady, right? Someone, a mother of the church. Mm -hmm. So we had a church play one year and it was about the devil and um, taking over your life. And so I was sitting in the audience and all of a sudden this woman walks down, who's in the play, she's one of the actresses. She has on this short little black hoochie mama dress, this little... (laughs) Um, black, like, I don't know, she was exposed up here. She had on some high heels and she was just, she was a prostitute in the play. Oh, wow. And I was like, that's my mom. What is she doing? And she was like, for me to see my mom like that, I was like, if you can become a whole nother person, like it just, oh my gosh. I was like, I want to do that. And so my mom, who was not even an actress, she tore that, she tore that part up. She did that. She had to walk down and everything. I was like, mom, where you been? (laughs) (laughs) And so that was what sparked my interest for for acting. Wow. What what a story. 
Damn. And and you started after that, you started like uh, asking your mom to put you into plays or or you started. Yeah, well, I was already in church plays already, but that's what made me become a, like start loving it. And so in high school, I did a few plays here and there. But in college is where I really started um, auditioning and getting to plays. I went to um, Beverly Hills Playhouse, which is an acting um, program in Beverly Hills and took some acting classes, took some playwriting classes. Then when I got to, um, moved to Austin took some more acting classes. So um, it's just something I love. And then I, wow. at one point I started writing plays and my husband was like, you didn't write that play just for it to sit on your desk. You're going to go ahead and produce that. <laughs> so I started producing plays and that's what turned into, um, when I moved to Baton Rouge, um, I started the Black Theater Company of Baton Rouge, like you said, Baton. Baton, Baton Rouge. <laughs> I mean, that's fine to say like that. It's just a different accent. That's all. Baton Rouge. <laughs> um and so yeah i love acting wow you um i promise we're gonna get to study abroad stuff but i just find you so fascinating i have so many questions and i, oh, I thank I, you Cesar. Uh, and and one of the questions i really wanted to ask was about your relationship if you're open to talking about it because i think it's incredible um i i feel like you and you and dr leonard moore are like a power couple and um, what you just mentioned that he saw you write a play and he's like, he kind of pushed you to like, now you're going to take it a step further, which yeah. I find incredible um, because that's kind of what I want in a relationship um, when, whenever I get married. What advice do you have? I don't want, I think that's the only question that comes to mind. Relationship advice. How do you find a person that is independent with themselves, it almost seems like you don't need each other, but you choose to be with each other. And, wow. and by being with each other, you propel each other forward because you're mm -hmm. independent. You know, you're not, you're not codependent at all. You're, you're two incredible people. And how do you get there? I don't know if how, how do you get there? Wow. Boy, you have some good questions. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're making me think today. Um, Wow. It, it might be a, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say it might be a, a terrible question because if it's hard to answer, it might be terrible. No, I don't think so. It's just, I'm trying to unravel it. Gotcha. To answer it. Um, yes. That's what I love about my husband. I'll start there that he pushes people. He's such an encourager. If he sees one little thing in you, he's going to, Pull, try his best to pull that out of you mm. and make sure you see it and make sure you do it. One of, um, he got this from a, a book. It's a quote from somebody else, but the quote says, my goal in life shouldn't be to arrive at death safely. Wow. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, anything I go to do and if I'm like, Oh, I'm scared. I don't know if I should do this. And then he'll say that quote or something similar to it. And I'm just like, yeah, like we shouldn't be trying to arrive at death safely. God has put us here for a purpose. We need to give it all we've got. We need to honor him by all the things that he's put into us. Let's use them all. Mm. I don't want nothing that I'm good at to sit over in a corner and collect dust. Um, and maybe you don't use all your skills at one time because I feel like, you know, some people are good at a lot of things and then they become stuck in that place mm -hmm. because they don't know which one, which gift to use. Right. Mm -hmm. So they just become stuck or they're trying to use them all at one time and then they're not 
maximizing any of them because yes. they're overextending themselves. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's best to sometimes just choose one thing at a time, pour all you have into it. And you hopefully you have a long life. Once you've done that, you can do something else. And once you've done that, you can do something else versus trying to do it all at once because you think, oh, I'm going to I'm going to run out of time. No, you got some time. Um, mm-hmm. This, this so, is how I feel. Yeah. So, yeah, I can tell you're gifted at a lot. Thank you. <laughs> what, are, what are some of the, I'll just stop and ask you, what are some things that you're gifted at and you're confused of where to start maybe? The, this, the podcast, the, not just the podcast, people. I think I'm really good with conversation and um, with asking questions. I've always been very curious, but also I have a part of me that wants to just build businesses because of the money. But then I think of what Dr. Moore told me in class and he was like, don't worry about the money, focus on what you, what something that calls you to me it was like some, some, something that gives you a fire to keep going and do the, do it the best you can. And then the money should come. But I still have that part of me that wants to be an entrepreneur and have businesses. And then I have a part of me that wants to be a phenomenal dancer and compete in dance and salsa. And then another part of me that wants to be a martial artist and get a black belt in jujitsu. And I have wow. these, you know, it's like, I want to be really, really fit. I want to be really, really wealthy. I want to be really good at conversation. And, and, you know, it's interesting you bring this up because recently I, I just had to sit down and think I'm getting nowhere with these things. I'm trying to do it all, but I'm getting nowhere. Wow. Um, yeah. Well, I'm glad we had this conversation then. Um, so I encourage you to focus on one. Like he said, focus on what calls you. And that one thing might open up the door for all the other things. Because if I think about the Fearless Leadership Institute, FLY, mm-hmm. um, what called me was loving on these women, right? Loving on Black women. And what it's opened up to is we do plays in FLY. We travel the world with FLY. Wow. Um, I make, at first I wasn't making, first five years for FLY, I wasn't making any money. Now I make money. Now I'm getting a raise. Now I get speaking engagements. Um, it's turned into a podcast, um, which has encouraged me. I love pouring into wives too and helping marriages. So what I do with Fly, somebody said, why don't you do that for wives? So I started something recently called Wifey Boot Camp. Wow. Um, and it's on Instagram. It's to encourage wives to stay in that thing. Um, and so I'm saying that to say that this one avenue opened up roads to all these other opportunities. Mm. Um, so it might be that if you just follow the calling, all of the other things will start to open up. Yeah, and that's what I'm starting to begin to accept now. And the thing is, is what you stated earlier, it's, I feel like I don't have enough time, right? But which is a ridiculous thing to say because I'm so focused on wanting it all right now. I want it now, 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 now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I've just noticed that I've been trying that very uh, for a lot, for a long time, for years. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like, you're going to keep doing the same thing or mm-hmm. you can try something new. And, and something new is scary because it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's getting out of your comfort zone because you're, you're so used to wanting to, you know, especially if you go to UT, you're so used to getting it right. And you're this, per, there's this perfectionism that you want to maintain. But mm-hmm. um, um, yeah, I'm learning to let yeah. it go. So thank you for yes. that. 
You're welcome. I'm excited for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. Uh, you mentioned that you travel the world with, um, uh, with fly and you take, mm-hmm. um, young women at UT around the world. Mm-hmm. And one of the things uh, about that you said that, that fly is about is, is, um, teaching girls to be, to fear less, right. Mm-hmm. You know, not, not to be fearless, but to fear less, or I don't know, to be fearless as well. How can mm-hmm. studying abroad help young women fear less? Mm, that's awesome. Um, so yes, I, and the, what I've said, the quote is something along the lines of, we may never be able to be fearless, but we can learn or strive to be fear, to fear less. Yes. Um, and so I think studying abroad helps in that way because it causes you to face a lot of those fears, especially as a um, African-American or Hispanic woman. Um, so some of the fears that come along with the thought of studying abroad is mm-hmm. that's not for me. That's mm. for white people. Mm. Um, or I've never traveled out of the state or the country. So I'm not getting on a plane going that far away from my mama, um, away from my family. Um, or I don't have enough money. Or what is or the fear of what is that gonna do for me? Like, okay, you know, I go that far. But I think if you just take it as see it as an opportunity and don't live in such a box you know maybe your parents didn't do it maybe your family didn't do it and I think a lot of times that's what holds black and brown people back is because my family doesn't do that (laughs) you know we stay right here on 54th street that's where we're gonna be Mm. um but you know just allowing yourself to do things differently and then sometimes we don't want to do it because we don't want our families to look at us like oh she thinks she better than us Oh. oh, she's up there at the university and she's getting a degree. Oh, yeah. and she's studying abroad. Oh, okay. She, she's trying to be white. Oh, I see. Um, and so those things can keep us from doing more, you know, but when you do, when you follow those opportunities, you open up the door for your little cousins and your little brothers and sisters to, to follow suit. And so you have to be the one that changes the game. You know, you can't wait for somebody else to do it. We want, we want these opportunities, want to make money, want to live lavishly, but we have to figure out what things do I need to do that maybe I'm scared to do that'll open up those opportunities, you know? And then we have to go ahead and do it afraid. Mm. <clears throat> when was the uh, first time that you went to another country? Um, well, growing up in LA, we would go to Mexico. Gotcha. Kind of quite often so and then we would go to canada too so gotcha, you know, gotcha. right there on that west coast you can go up and down the coast did, and be in another country did those experiences teach you anything about like the united states did they change your perception about the united states um when you're young you think and you're young and you're inundated with american history taught through uh, the lens of, you know, the way America wants you to learn it, mm-hmm. you tend to look at the other country, you tend to look down on other countries. Mm-hmm. But when you become enlightened and woke and you realize the truth about America, then it makes you realize, oh, America, you know, <laughs> I don't need to look down on nobody. Um, and then you you tend to appreciate other countries like you appreciate the familialness, like a lot of other countries. One thing I love about Mexican culture growing up in LA, I'll say, mm-hmm. is 
they stuck together. Like the families, you would see them always together, multiple families together. If they had to live together for a time period just to get the other family on their feet. Yeah. Um, that to me was powerful. Mm. And America would teach you to look down on that. I remember hearing jokes about hundreds of Mexican people being in one room, you know, and that was and they would make a joke about it. But then when you really see like what that means, that love, that support, um, that is powerful that, you know, you that 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 those families would stick together and support each other until they were able to buy their own house or their own property. Um, and so it's just seeing it from a different view, I mm-hmm. guess. Is what it I would gives say. you a different perspective to view mm-hmm. your own life back home. Right. And um, when was the first time that you went to uh, a country in another continent? Abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it was with Cape Town. Cape Town? No, the first trip was China. Sorry, in 20, what was that, 2013? Oh, wow. 2013, we went to China. That was our first study abroad trip. Um, and I was blown away. Oh, that's right. I think. Oh, my husband went first because he had to go get the program started and get the students there. And I myself and my three children who were very young at the time stayed behind because they had to finish school. Mm. And so we came like a week later. And that week was crazy for me because they were all like seven, eight and 10, I think, were their ages, (laughs) all still in school. So I had to help them finish out school, pack all of our bags. Like my whole room was just full of suitcases and you know, you hear like, if you go to China and your kids are young, take your own snacks because they're not going to want to eat anything. So I had a suitcase just for snacks, just designated for snacks. And I remember when we finally landed in China, I got off the plane and everything was written in Mandarin. Oh, yeah. And um, I just stood there and I cried. <laughs> you cried? Why'd you cry? <laughs> I was worn out from the week. My kids, I was worn out from all the travel with three little ones and they were asking questions and I was just worn out and I get there and I'm thinking, okay, finally I'm getting to my husband. I can get some relief. And I didn't even know which way to go because I couldn't read the signs. And so I just cried. And they were like, mommy, what's wrong? I was like, I don't know where I am. (laughs) Just for context for people, China, especially Beijing, it's like, uh, I compared a little bit like the United States where you're going to speak their language. They're not going to cater to you. Like you're here in China, you're speaking Mandarin. It's kind of like the United States where it's like everybody expects you to speak English, you know? <laughs> um, and so <laughs> I can, I can sympathize with you because if you're so tired and you get to like the airport and you finally, you think it's going to be easy, like in all the other airports in most of the world. And it's mm. just <laughs> another big obstacle. <clears throat> right. But it's this whole thing about getting out of, uh, I mean, I, that's why it becomes such an adventure for people who are young, you know, because you're faced with these things that you got to figure out. And it's a little scary because you're like, I've never been here before. Like, I've never been in this situation. Yeah. But slowly you start realizing after a lot of these um, encounters with like situations where you don't know if you can figure it out, you start realizing that you can figure out a lot of stuff without anybody. Exactly. <laughs> is- I think that's the power in uh in in going to other countries. Um and your kids have been all over the world now. I was talking to Dr. Moore how you've been to almost every continent except Antarctica. 
but he said, are you going to go to Antarctica? Oh, <laughs> uh, I said I wasn't going to go. I was going to say, it's too cold for me. Yes, yeah, But <laughs> if he really, 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 really wants to go and there's an opportunity, I will go with him. I won't let him do it alone. Yeah, but I don't I have no desire. You would you would you would have gone to every continent in the world. That'd be crazy. That's, that's true. Maybe I need to go ahead and face my fear of being cold and just Yes. Go. And then you okay. come back and you tell everybody about it. And I think that's just so amazing. Okay, yeah. it's a done deal. I'm going to sorry. Thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow, that easy. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I just took I had to take my own encouragement i just said you can't sit here you know you got to do it afraid and face your fears and the reasons why we don't go so i was like oh how am i going to talk about not, i'm not going to antarctica i better get on that plane or whatever the boat <laughs> however we get in there do you have any um f- food that you still think about from china that you that you miss oh my gosh me and my son were talking about this last night we were eating some chicken uh-huh. and there was something that i tasted and it reminded me of a chinese herb but it was very similar, but it wasn't the same. So I remember in, Ch- in China, we were eating some dish and all of a sudden my mouth was like, pow, pow, pow. It's like, what is going on in my mouth? And it was, I finally figured out it was this like black ball. I don't know what it's called. And it's very like pungent and it like puts fireworks in the back of your mouth and it's strong and it's powerful. I don't remember what it's called, but I only tasted it in a few dishes and I knew that I didn't really want to taste it again. So once I figured out what was causing it, I was kind of, I'd kind of like weeded out. What? So it was unpleasant? (sighs) Yeah. It did something to your tongue. Oh, it it like like made it numb. Did it make it numb? Yes. It's, uh, I know what it is. Um, but I can't remember the name because I, I was working at a catering kitchen and the chefs were like, Caesar, eat this. <laughs> and I ate the little, little, it's like a little seed. It's almost like a little star, I think. And, uh, Maybe so. Okay. and it yeah. numbs your tongue. It numbs it your numbs, tongue. But it's, it also did something in the back of my mouth first. And then oh, it wow. numbed my tongue and it was fire. It wasn't spicy, but it was kind of fiery at I first. I think it's sash, Sashwan, Sashwan, something like oh. that. Um, but it's used in a lot of, um, uh, or it's used in, in some Asian dishes. Okay. And, and yeah, I really miss the dumplings though. I really, that's one oh. of the things about, you know, it's incredible that you mentioned like the, these tastes and the smells of things, they mm-hmm. carry experiences kind of like music. They're, they're able to capture experiences. And so you might be at home in Texas walking around and suddenly you're in a, you're somewhere where there's food and you get a whiff of China and you're like, Oh, I'm back. I'm back in a market. What's going on? <laughs> And uh, that is just so true. <laughs> All of the hotels there had a, a similar smell. So every once in a while, I walk in a hotel here in the States and I'm like, China. <laughs> <laughs> and so fun. I love how that, that happens. Yeah. Yes, the food there is amazing. I love the markets because the fruits and the vegetables were just vast and they were different. You know, they'd have a lot of the things that are here, but they'd have things that I've never seen before. And I was just, I love produce. So I was just blown away by that. Wow. Did you, have you, what's the most adventurous thing you've done um, abroad? For example, when I was in South Africa, I went bungee jumping and that was Ooh. out of this world. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I saw y'all doing that stuff. I was like, okay, good job. <laughs> um, but for me, it was on our way back from China. We stopped in Vancouver, Canada. Uh-huh. Um, for a little while, and we went white water rafting. Oh wow! And I love 
the water. So I've always wanted, that's always been in my bucket list to go whitewater rafting. And of course it was all five of us and it was another family who we didn't know. And at one point we got, several of us got thrown out of the boat, which was pretty terrifying, but they were able to rescue us and bring us back in. Oh my God. Um, yeah. And so I remember when I got home, I was just like, oh, that was the best. I called my dad to tell him thinking that he was going to be like, you did that. Go ahead. He calls me Kunta. Good job. Kunta. Look at you. I thought he was going to say that, but he was like, you did what? You took who? You took my grandchildren? You said, you're missing here. If you and your husband, you, you and your stupid husband want to go out there and kill yourself, go ahead. But you won't ever take my grandchildren out there. You understand me? I was like, yes, sir. So oh, wow. I got in trouble for that one. You make the best impressions. <laughs> oh, that's exactly how he sounds, too. Wow. I love it. I love it. What? Um, have you seen a difference? Um, I mean, I'm sure you, you have, but what's the, di- what do you see different in your kids' um, perceptions of the world compared to kids, th- their friends and stuff, if there is a difference? Because they're so well-traveled. And so I just wonder if, if you see something that perhaps they don't even notice, but that they picked up because they've been to so many um, cultures. They've been exposed to so many cultures. know if that in them has blossomed yet i'm mm. i'm waiting for i'm waiting to see how the, these experiences will blossom i think right now i don't think my children are spoiled mm-hmm. but sometimes because they've had maybe experienced more than others they can forget that that's a um an, an advantage or a privilege mm-hmm. you know this is not something that everybody does i try to remind them all the time where i'm from what my house was like growing up, you know, so that they don't get big headed and think, oh, this is just life. No, baby, you're going to have to go out there and work hard yourself because mommy and daddy are not going to be providing for you for the rest of your life. Um, So I pray that those experiences don't give them like a, a more relaxed state, like, oh, we've got it made. My parents take me around the world. Mm-hmm. I versus wow look how other people live um i want to do things like that i love how people in south africa do that or i hate how this is happening i'm going to make sure my life is different so i hope they i hope they use it i'm sure they have but i just haven't paid attention to how i guess Mm. are they still uh are they going off to college soon some of them or yes one is in college um, she's her first year at University of the Incarnate Word in San Antonio. Wow. She does very well academically. Um, and she is also a full ride for basketball. Oh my God. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That's amazing. I Just, know. I'm proud of her. Do they, do they, uh, do they talk about wanting to travel more of the world? Um, yeah, especially my m- middle daughter. And now that you've asked that, my middle daughter is probably I could see the the going abroad how it how she lives it out. She's such an entrepreneur. Like wow. especially in South Africa, you'll see the lady who we work with closely there. She has ten million jobs and she's taking care of everybody. And that is Lauren to me. She is an entrepreneur. She started a hair braiding business. She has a photography business. She um 
she works full, you know, she has a job part-time where she works. She's on the volleyball team at, at school. She's on yeah. club volleyball team and she's a student and she has 10 million friends of every race. Um, <laughs> and so she's just out there like to, for her, it's like, Oh, there's no limits. I can do everything. Wow. Um, so yeah, I love that about her. And then my son, he's very wise. Like he's just 15, but he's very, I notice he's can be discerning. And in fact, if me and my husband get in an argument, mm-hmm. he'll stop us and be like, mom, you're wrong because of da, 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 da. And I'm like, you need to shut up. Cause uh, <laughs> you ain't in this, <laughs> but he's, but what he's saying is right. Or he'll be like, dad, you need to calm down because what mom is saying is da, 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 da. And he just helps us. You know, at first it was like, we were taken aback by it by like, who's this little kid? Um, but the, Things that come off his mouth, like, it's like just wise and it's right. So I'm like, okay. Wow. I would, what do you think? Is that just his personality or do you think he, he learned that from from you and Do- Dr. Moore? Probably, but I think it's also his personality. I know that, you know, he, he has a big purpose in life for his first several years of his life. Not first several years. I think when he started when he was four to when he was about 11 he had, he was epileptic. And so he had oh, wow. seizures all the time or not all the time, but they happened and they were long. One time he, he seized for over an hour and they said that it would cause brain damage just to have a seizure over a certain like 15 minutes. And his mm-hmm. was over an hour. Um, and I just praise God that that time period is over in his life. The brain activity that was causing the seizures is gone. He's no longer on medication and he's brilliant. Like he gets all A's. He's in his, he's in the um, AP courses and um, he's just really smart and really wise, but also very humble. You know, he's not, a sh- he's not showy. He, he's a great friend. He's already gotten a f- offer for football and he's just a freshman in high school. Um, so I believe he's really blessed and favored and destined for greatness. Mm. Thais, you're you're a very uh, you're you're a very supportive and phenomenal parent, and I was blessed to have very supportive parents. I was kind of I had the best of both worlds, where my mom was super supportive, and my dad was like, "Why Africa? Why are you going to Africa? What's in Africa?" I was like, "Don't go to Africa," <laughs> and uh, and then I was like, "Okay, dad, <laughs> I'm going." And then I come back, <laughs> I come back and he's telling everyone that I went to Africa and he's like, <laughs> you know, this is, this is a common thing that, you know, parents don't, don't support you. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> my boy went to Africa. <laughs> yeah. What do you tell um, college girls who want to study abroad, but their parents don't support them? Nobody around them in their family that from their hometown supports them. What advice do you give to them? Well, a couple of them that that has happened with, I'd say, tell your mom to call me. Mm. And so I've talked to moms um, Mm. on the phone and said, let them know the advantages of it, um, how it will just open up so many opportunities and just open up your mind to, to stop being so boxed in. You know, I think that's the biggest thing is that your mind opens up. And when your mind opens up, then opportunities that have been sitting there become visible to you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just tell the, tell the parents that, and then they get comfort in knowing that me and my husband are on the trip. I'm taking my own children on the trip. So this is a family atmosphere. There's other, other, this, 
other staff and faculty, they bring their wives and children. So it's become a very family oriented trip to where even the students feel like, oh, mom and dad are on the trip with us, you know, or Uncle Leonard and Uncle Thais are right over there. So if I need somebody, I'm good. And the, it feels like that when we're on the trips, it feels like the students become our own and we become a family. Mm-hmm. And what are the biggest fears that parents have when they're talking to you? What are their fears um, and that make them not want to support? The long flight, um, the amount of money, and their baby being in a just a country so far away from their reach. Like, you know, if they're at University of Texas and mom, mom or dad are in Dallas, they can drive down and, and rescue their baby if they need to. But if they're across the globe, you know, they can't do that. So I think this feeling of they can't protect their child or what if their child gets raped? Um, you know, you hear all the horror stories about some of these countries that it's just like the United States. You hear other countries hear the horror stories about us. And it is horrible, right? Especially right now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we live day to day. And thankfully, we're not, you know, walking around in all these treacherous things happening on a daily basis. But my point is the stories, the horror stories become bigger than what they really are. So just um, demystifying some of those things for the parents is important. Mm. Um, I was going to say something. I forgot. Sorry. Wouldn't you good? What do you, what do you tell them about the money? Cause this is big for a lot of people. It's just an instant kind of like, all right, we're not going. Right. Um, kind of like what my husband told you that just apply and let the money will follow. If it's meant for you to go, the money will follow. And that has been the case. A lot of times, um, students have to take out loans or they have to apply for scholarships or we've had some students become instant entrepreneurs where like one of them lady, she was an artist and she started selling her artwork and made over a thousand dollars to help support her trip. Um, so sometimes it spurs you to do what you got to do to make it happen. Don't just say, Oh, there's no money. Well, what can I do? I need to apply. I need to maybe get a part-time job for the next three months mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever it takes to make it happen. Don't let that be a reason. Yes. I understand some families are financially strained, but that can't be our reason for staying stuck somewhere. We have to put our foot one foot forward then one foot and then another foot. You know, it's one thing at a time. You can't go from zero to say the trip costs 5,000 in a day, but over the next year you can plan for it, you know, to make it happen. And one of the things that I love is some of the very families that have been terrified for their daughter to go abroad. They've sent me pictures in recent years of the whole family now in South Africa. It's that one first person that takes the, takes a step. And then they see that their face, their fears were, unfounded and and then everybody's like oh we should go yes um yeah i just uh i think that's incredible that's i was about to say something as well and i forgot <laughs> <laughs> come back because that's what i was gonna say earlier about the family and it came back gotcha gotcha i know we are um running out of time here we got like six minutes uh, before our hour's up but i was gonna ask i was gonna you know i wanted to hit on I mean, you have this incredible story that changes your life because you get caught in a riptide and um, you, 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 in the last interview, you called this turning point number two, right? Where you almost drowned and a man saved you. And one of your friends had a dream um, where you were saved by someone. Is that, is that how the story went? Similar, almost. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh-huh. You want me to recap it real quick? Yeah, yeah, please, if you would. Okay, so it was the time period when I was suicidal and considering dropping out of school and college. And um, this, I spoke to this lady, this older lady at church, and I was just telling her all the things that I was going through. And she said, baby, what I want you to do is go home and lay prostrate on your floor. And I want you to cry out to God. I want you to tell him everything that you told me. And he'll answer you. And the thing that I had asked her, I was like, is God real? Does he love me? Those are the things I was wondering. I was like, because if he's real and if he loves me, then why is my life so effed up, right? Um, And so I went home that night. I stayed in an apartment with one of my um, friends, classmates. And I um, laid prostrate on the floor. I didn't know what that meant. So I think my prostrate was upside down, (laughs) but it didn't matter. God knew my heart. And I did. I told, I spoke out loud and I just talked to God and told him everything that I told the lady plus some, Mm -hmm. right? And then I asked him, I was like, are you real? Do you love me? If you are, please show me. And I just remember laying there on the floor and I just cried myself to sleep. And so the next morning, my roommate, my friend got up. She's like, hey, Ty, you want to go body surfing? You want to go to the beach? And we did this every day that summer. So it wasn't, you know, it was the norm. So we got up, went to the beach, Venice Beach. And we were trying to go further and further out because we were trying to get the big waves to to body surf and ride into the shore, right? This is what we love doing. Mm. And that particular day, for some reason, like the waves wouldn't take us in. And so we just kept swimming further and further out. And so all of a sudden we heard these sirens go off along the coast, just and then all these lifeguards jumped off their benches and started running in with their buoys or whatever they're called and um, pulling people out. And um, the waves all got bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger. And so one of the waves came and it took my friend about halfway in and the lifeguard came and got her. But the, um, the waves were taking me further and further out into sea. And I started, I was struggling. I was trying to swim. I was trying to, um, I was fighting the water. At one point I said, well, let me go down and touch the bottom and maybe I can like walk in. And so I just, you know how you let your body go down into the water. There was no ocean bottom anywhere around me. In fact, I was so far out. I was where like the lifeguard boats drive by, Oh my God! but there were no boats. And so I saw several lifeguards like coming out my way to come get me. And then they would turn around and get somebody else because I was too far out there. And I even saw my friend on the shore, like pointing, like, go get my, you know, save my friend, save my friend. And even though it was like noisy and sirens and people screaming, it got to I was and I was beating the water. All of a sudden it got really quiet and really surreal. And I could um, feel I was drowning. I was dying and I could feel my inner person separating from my, my body. And I was looking down at myself in the ocean like I was not complete. I don't know if if people who are listening believe in Mm -hmm. spirit, the spirit realm or not, but I believe I'm a spirit encased in my, my body. Mm -hmm. And so because of this experience, I definitely believe it because I was looking at myself and I was like, I stopped struggling with the water. I was like, God, is this it? Do you love me? Are you real? If you love me, please save me. 
And at that moment, this man starts walking towards me. And remember, I couldn't put my feet anywhere down. So I'm wondering, like, how is this dude walking towards me? Because he wasn't swimming. He was just kind of coming steadily. And he reached out his hand towards me. And I reached back forward. And another wave came and took me out. And so I prayed again. I was like, God, if you're real, please save me. And the man reached out his hand again. That time I grabbed it. And he took me all the way in the shore and set me next to my friend. And immediately the lifeguards came and took over my breathing and stuff. And as the man walked away, I told him, thank you. And I asked him his name. He said it was Chris. And um, my friend who grew up in an atheist household and I grew up in church, my friend said, Thais, that was an angel. And I looked at her and I looked at the man walking away. I was like, okay, (laughs) all right, an angel. Um, And so that night, I went to, now mind you, in the news that day, it said that 13 people died along the coast or 13 people drowned. Mm. Um, And thankfully I wasn't number 14, but I went to a choir rehearsal that night and it was a mass choir where um, people come from all different churches to um, rehearse for Mm. a mass choir. And I had a lot of cousins from the other churches. And so before we got started, my mom was like, Ty, stand up and tell them what happened to you today. Tell them about the man who pulled you out of the ocean. And so I did. And my cousin, she said, Thais, last night, my daughter had a dream that you drowned in the ocean. And she wow. said, God woke her up and said, pray that I will send an angel to save her. And in that moment, I was like, Wow, that was an angel. And all of my prayers that I prayed from the night before were just answered like in that instant. It was like God was saying, I am real. I do love you. I'm not ready for you to leave this earth. When I am ready, as you can see, I can take you just like that, but I'm not ready for you to leave. I have a purpose for you. Um, and in that moment, I I gave my life to God and I said, here I am. Now, was my turning over my life to God easy? No, it's you know, it's taken my whole life. I think you constantly give yourself to God and say, here I am, use me. But that was me verbally recognizing that he was real and that I gave my life to him. How do you, how did that translate to your life and like the actions you took after that, giving yourself? Um, well, I knew there were some friendships I had to let go of. Mm. I knew there were some mindsets and some ways of thinking I had to let go of. And I knew that I just needed to accept that he loved me. Like I didn't think I was loved. I thought I wasn't enough. I thought um, I would never do anything with my life. And it was just a matter of me receiving his love and what that love how that love transformed me. And still, you know, there was another incident that happened. Maybe if you have a couple minutes. Oh, uh, no, I have time. I, I was concerned about your time. Okay. I just don't want your podcast to be like too long. But Oh, um, no, no. The, the longer, the better. Okay. Um, not too long after that incident, um, I got in a car accident. So from going from Los Angeles to Pasadena, Mm -hmm. there is a really tiny, windy freeway, the 110, where it gets really windy. And I'm so used to it that it's going through the, you know, the curves and the mountains. I just go really fast. Whereas if you tell people who are new to it, they're like going 30, you know, miles an hour, like, (laughs) oh, this is scary. So I'm coming home from work one day and I'm on the the phone, y'all. I'm in a meeting. 
and it's um, dark at night and I come around one of these curves and there's a um, big box in the middle of the lane. And I was terrified. I was like, and I'm going 70 miles an hour and then here it comes. And my instinct was to just try to dodge it, which I shouldn't have done because I'm already turning left and I turn right to miss it. And uh-huh. so that was a disaster. So I ended up hitting the right side of the freeway, the rail. I oh, yeah. correct, tried to correct it and turn left. I hit the median. I tried to correct it and turn right. I hit the right side again. I tried to correct it. So I was just going back and forth because it's a narrow freeway hitting both sides of the freeway. Wow. And I was like, I am tearing this, you know, I'm, this is not working. And so I felt something in my spirit say, Thais, let go of the steering wheel and let me handle it and just duck your head. I got you. Now I knew I wasn't going to die because three months prior, how many ever months prior, God told me it's not your time to go. I got a purpose for you. And I knew I hadn't fulfilled that purpose because it's just three months ago. <laughs> um, and my life was still raggedy, you know, just because you give your life to God doesn't mean your life is like, oh, my life was still very raggedy, um, you know, still making really bad choices. So anyway, I let go of the steering wheel. I had this peace that was over me. My car was hitting everything, but I wasn't terrified. And I just ducked my head. The car did a few more things and then it flipped over and landed on the driver's side door. And so I was like, okay, I'm good, I'm here. So I get my purse, I go up and I open the other door, the passenger door, and I like stand on something so that people can see me because they're coming around this corner, it's pitch black night. And so I'm just like waving, like, don't hit me, don't hit me. And again, I didn't think I was gonna get hit because I hadn't fulfilled my purpose, but it was still a little scary, like, dang, cars are like, and finally this one um, car, this truck pulled over and two men got out and they came and pulled me out. And um, I was so thankful for them. But at the same time, I was very terrified because it was pitch black and I had been raped before and I had been molested before and some other, I had been beaten up by men before. So I was relieved on one hand and then I was like, oh my gosh. I'm here, out here with these two guys alone. And I got scared. And all of a sudden, this older black woman pulls up and she just stands, she gets out of her car and she stands with me and prays with me. So all four of us are there waiting for the police to come. And again, I felt like she was just another angel that God sent, like, come on now, older black woman. It was like the same woman kind of who told me to lay prostrate on the floor, right? I'm like, God is good. So, anyways, that scenario, once I finally got settled and thought about it. God said, you gave me your life, but you're still holding onto the steering wheel and you're effing things up or jacking things up. Sorry. He said, I'm going to need you to get on over in the backseat and let me drive because you don't know what you're doing. And so that was another change where like, wow, I gave my life to God, but I'm still in control. I haven't given him anything. You know, verbally, I said it verbally. I said, I believe you, but I'm still making my own choices and I'm messing things up. Wow. So at that point I told God, God, can you start talking to me a little differently? Like I promise <laughs> you I listen. I promise you I don't need to go through these big things to hear you anymore. Please. I'm all ears right here. What you got to say? Wow. And then wow. This that's that's those are two incredible stories. I love that. They're so powerful. Yes. Thank you. Okay. I, you know, I, I, um, 
I know we have to go here soon, but uh, I uh, that when you were caught in a riptide, I was in Thailand and uh, I was swimming and and I was looking at the most beautiful sunset I've ever seen in my life. But it was, was I was like I was thinking, wow, I'm living a billionaire's life. It's the middle of a school week. I'm on a beach on th- in Thailand, <laughs> seeing the most beautiful sunset I've ever seen, and I'm out in the ocean, you know, on this little board, and I'm just wow. taking it in, wow. and and suddenly. You know, I'm, I'm telling myself this, you know, you're, you're, a, you're living a billionaire's life, Caesar. And you're like 22. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is what I've always wanted. Wow. And, and then it dawns on me, but there's no one here to share it with. And I'm like, ah, oh. I'm like, I'm going to be able to go home, tell my parents this, tell my brothers this, tell my best friends this. And they're going to be like, that's cool, man. They're not going to be like, <laughs> I remember I, I was, oh, I know that sunset, right? Oh, and then we, we drank those, uh, that, those drinks and, mm-hmm. and, and that is, uh, when I kind of, my life began to change because I realized that what I was chasing was not, uh, you know, the money, it was the freedom, but it was all about the people really mm-hmm. uh, all the travel has been all about the people, all my study abroads. What's made them incredible is not the country I've been in. It's the people that I've met and the experiences that we've had. And um, and right after that sunset, I turned around to go swim <laughs> to shore and I had gone off really far. And I was like, oh my God. And I started swimming, trying to muscle through it and I wouldn't get any closer. And I started to freak out and I tried to touch the floor because I was like, okay, I'll just touch the floor. And then... <laughs> There's nothing there. I just imagined like, oh my God, there's miles of ocean below me. But I wasn't really that far. I wasn't that far. It was just my, I was freaking myself out. I was already yeah. tired. And uh, I keep going and I keep going and I'm getting to a point where I'm thinking I'm not going to be able to go for any longer. I'm like, yeah. and there's nobody out here. There's nobody out here. Wow. It's a Thai beach. There's no, and I start freaking out. And all that is on my mind is survival. You know, like, I'm just, I just, I want to get out of this. I want to, how, I can't believe I'm going to die here. And I don't know what happened through the swimming, but suddenly I was, (laughs) I just, uh, I I went upright and my knees touched the floor, which made me think that I wasn't really in that much danger, but in my mind I was, because I wasn't getting any closer and there was nobody around. And those two experiences together, I was I wow. kind of reassessed what mattered and I was like, wow. Um, and that, that moment I really look back on in my life as a turning point. So wow. that's, Ooh. yeah, that's why I wanted to ask you about your riptide story because it was such a, a profound experience for me. Yeah, um, it is a turning point. You just wake up and you realize, okay, what am I doing? What am I going to do differently? Yeah, not that uh, not that I think people need to get caught in rip types to have t- turning points, but <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, those are two incredible stories. And Thais, I want to thank you so much for for coming on. And I just I hope that through hearing us speak, uh, people get to see that you know getting out of their comfort zone is one of the best things that they can do. And 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 when you're very young, one of the one way to do that is, is study abroad or intern abroad because mm-hmm. you're just you're completely out of your comfort zone in so many ways. Um, and my last question to you is if you could write a message on every student studying abroad's boarding pass, um, mm-hmm. what would it be? If you could write one sentence, like on every, like, let's just say it was printed on their, <laughs> on their boarding pass and every, every student saw it. 
before oh. they went abroad? What would you tell them? Um, that's who, like I said, you have some great questions. Um, I couldn't help but to say just because of my life that wherever you go, God is with you and he loves you. Mm. You can't, you can't escape him and you can't escape his love. So I've said a lot, but the words would be wherever you go, God is with you and he loves you. And and you asked about writing. I just want to let people know there's a resource that I've written. It's called A Syllabus for Black Women, mm-hmm. 110 Life Lessons for Sisters in College. It says for Black women, but I promise you anybody can gain from it, can glean, can glean from it. Um, the life lessons are my life lessons when I was in college. Gotcha. So, Where can people mm-hmm. find that? On Amazon. I gotcha. It's, it's a book. A, sil- a Syllabus for Black Women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On awesome. Amazon. It's a book. Awesome. Awesome. And if people want to reach out to you, where can they find you uh, online? Um, You can reach me at FLI, that's Fearless Leadership Institute, FLI at utexas.edu. That's email. I'm on Instagram also for fly. So that's FLI underscore UT. And then, like I said, I started something for wives called Wifey Boot Camp. So that's wifey boot camp um that's on instagram and i also have an instagram page for the book so it's syllabus for black women um and the four is a number gotcha. so there's gotcha. a lot of ways to reach me which means i might be slow in getting back to you this is a lot of things to check <laughs> <laughs> and it's all good it's all good thais thank you again for giving me uh, so much of your time today and uh wow. stick around a little bit after the show so we can talk uh but uh to everyone listening Uh, I hope you enjoyed and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for having me. Hey there. If you enjoyed this episode, well, green light. New episodes of The Dose of Caesar come out every week. So make sure to follow and subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts. If you feel that more people should listen to this podcast and share this episode with your tribe. If you want to connect with me or if you just want some extra doses of Cesar, of Caesar, of Cesarin Pingui, then you can sign up for my free weekly email newsletter called The Caesar Encyclopedia, where I share what I learn every week. Or you can reach out to me on Instagram at the dose of Caesar. We'll see you next time.